In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Welcome to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Conlon. I'm Nathan. I don't know if I, my new my new catchphrase. I don't know if I ever actually introduced us the in the show or at the beginning of the show because it doesn't lead into it. Anyways, uh, at the, the for this first season of Verhoeven Effect, we are watching network television because me and Nathan do not watch network television. We are specifically watching well, it was three shows tonight's just two shows of police proceed network police procedurals and as always we start with ncis new orleans we have season one episode 23 the season finale my city original date may 12 2015 cbs tuesday prize suspects a mole among the among the ranks as ncis and local law enforcement continue to track the bassard syndicate after new intelligence suggests a breach at the ports showrunner gary glasberg written by jeffrey lieber directed by james Heyman. yeah this uh this the last episode was better than this one. Yeah, <laughs> I was I, I was uh, excuse me I was specifically disappointed because there was such a build because almost like the last episode was it was it almost seemed like oh is this a two parter just gonna dovetail with this and we're gonna have like stories are gonna crisscross yeah because like, this is no. effectively a three parter episode yeah yeah uh, except the last episode promised so much for this episode that it couldn't live up to it no. Now, I did like the whole like process that they came. It's like the special mortar round that would, that was like kind of neat. Yeah, <laughs> but it also seemed like it wouldn't necessarily work. But whatever, it was a neat idea. But yeah, yeah for purposes I, of fiction, nuclear reactors are very delicate pieces of machinery that, if anything <laughs> goes wrong, they will explode and spread <laughs> radiation into all the major water systems around them because that's how they're designed. They're, they're, they're like a it's like taking a fly out of amber or trying to <laughs> disrupting a nuclear power plant for the purposes of fiction. In reality, they're just big industrial pieces of equipment. It's like something's wrong. Off. Turn it, <laughs> turn it. Okay, we're good. Now the, the reactor is, is shut off. But in the fiction world, everyone runs around with chickens, like chickens with their head cut off because, you know, only idiots get degrees in nuclear science. <laughs> you could see how it'd be terrifying to the home audience who isn't consumed with minutia like me, like what yeah. about Chernobyl? And you know, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> to everyone else, nuclear power plants are just bombs that are waiting to go off. And, yeah, 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 yeah. That's I understand the target <laughs> audience. I was still like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a metaphor metaphorical storm is coming. What will it be? We have a black and white with color highlight opening where Pride is like disarming his bomb as a guy's like gonna hit him with a rock. And then we cut to seven or it says seventy-eight hours earlier. Actually, we cut to the credits and then it comes back from the credits and it says seventy hours earlier. And we have Pride taking down his conspiracy board. No Pride Revenge Revolver. That was nope. exclusively for that one episode, I yeah. guess. I was really hoping to see that again. Pride gathers the team, and then like that's that's where he suggests that there's a mole. He says it's not really amongst the team, but it's got to be somewhere else in their their purview. So it could be yeah. you know the police department because the when FBI, they meet whatever. in the skiff. 
to talk about this. <laughs> like the entire team is there. There's a mole somewhere. I don't think it's anyone in this room. Okay, no tension there then, because either it is or it isn't. We have our body of a dead sailor at the port that's David Hansen, and they go through the, the cargo container, and there's like PCV pipes in there, and it like leads to a hidden compartment. It's like, okay, this is human trafficking. And I wrote down, like, Storm is who? <laughs> oh, yeah, I just wrote down, I have no idea who it's supposed to be or who it could be. So I don't know if this guy is in other NCIS shows. Yeah, uh, but because we just watched this one show, he's completely meaningless to us, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have Hamilton just conveniently doing a press conference, you know, just in time for NCS to catch it, where he's like, you know, I'm gonna find these murderers. <laughs> that, yeah, this is probably the funnest part of the show is whenever Pride is meeting up with his dad. Like yeah. those are the fun parts. <laughs> I, I like that. Dad, I need to harness your evil for good. <laughs> okay, son. And then they talk for five seconds, and he immediately picks up on like, oh, this is who got that guy the job at the port because his dumb, her husband has like a window with a room in prison. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, we immediately put that together, which is kind of cool. It's like, see, Dad, I was right. You are evil, and it can be used for good. <laughs> Pounds on the door and leaves. <laughs> We find out it's like there's some Ecuadorian women that were smuggled in, but somehow like the guy was in there, but his DNA wasn't. And then like he killed the sailor with a knife. So I I didn't get that uh, or I missed something. No, you didn't. Um, they didn't explain it. Okay. It's like, we're going to comb this thing for DNA and we're going to get a match. And it's like, no, we're not. Um, <laughs> we're going to, uh, you know, one of the Ecuadorian women speaks English and describes the tattoo on his neck. And that's how they figure out who it is. Yeah, they raid a suspicious house and kill a bunch of bad guys. Yeah. Him and Messier do that. And Pride, yeah, Pride interviews one of the Ecuadorian women. Then we get the tattoo. And then we find out it's a West African terrorist group called, and his name, the, the main guy is Solomon Ekpo. Yep. That's the big bad guy. And that's the guy that we, as there's no previous mention in this entire season. Nope. So we don't, and we have no idea if he's from other NCIS stuff. And we're, we're not going to know. So, oh, well. <laughs> And then, like, they're looking for surveillance footage because there's conveniently a camera pointing right at the place where the, the guy got killed. And then, the like, the dock manager, I think it's Warren, doesn't get their footage back in time. So, uh, Patton just, like, steals it from, like, some, from, from you know, the cloud, you know, yeah. he can just do that. And then, like, of course, the, the footage is erased. Um, yeah. And then, the, yeah, this is where I figure out that Hamilton appointed Warren. The, Oh, yeah, and they, they go and find the doc manager of war, and he's just dead in the middle of a field in his car. Yeah, a bullet wound in his head. <laughs> and then, yeah, apparently Hamilton appointed Warren, and then Percy is, like, suspicious for a moment because they Patton said that she accessed their computer when he wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, but he does, he does, he says she's not, she's, he says she's good people, but he doesn't know what she was looking for, which ends up being kind of a joke later on. It's like what she was actually looking for. Kind of a joke, but also like, yeah, let's work on this trust. <laughs> I'm looking for a job. So I figured the best way to do it would be to illegally access your operating budget to see if I can get a job, thinking like, what? It's like, oh, you're a real self starter. Welcome to the team. <laughs> okay. I don't know what lunatic world this works in, but all right. <laughs> Pride goes back to meet his dad in jail to kind of get a follow up, and that's where he learns all the the stuff about the people, and he like knows like people's maiden names and stuff like that, and it's all like people he knows in jail too. Yeah. Um, and then there's a funny line where like he says, Shh, "Just let the bad man do his work here." <laughs> 
Yeah, so this is where we find out that Messier, the like the New Orleans cop that we've been with for like the past three episodes, is now a suspect. Mm-hmm. And then they find him in a hotel tied up with a bomb. Yeah. Uh they, they get him out of there as the hotel blows up, which presumably nobody else is in the hotel. No, it was abandoned. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> where they were hiding Ecuadorian slave girls in the past. Oh, okay. It was okay an abandoned okay. hotel, but yeah. Uh, Okay, I missed that part. Yeah, because I was wondering, it's like, are there going to be a bunch of dead innocent people? <laughs> this is where we find out that Messe killed bait fish and did a lot of things, but like the one thing he didn't do is he didn't intentionally let a terrorist into into New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, and he's also like the linchpin of this whole thing coming up, coming apart. So instead of just shooting him in the head, no, let's chain him up in a hotel room with a bomb. <laughs> because it's like yeah if this guy talks we're the whole thing's coming apart so what are we gonna do tie him up with a bomb and and you know wait wait and you know and then see if ncis figures it out oh and also messier killed warren he admitted to yeah, that yeah because so. i was just assuming it was this uh, ekpo guy who was doing all these killings he, you know he's the big bad he's like the the bomb that's a, he's the storm that's coming and so he can be anywhere he wants to be but apparently he wasn't so nah. he was just he was just yeah there's some naval base is a target and Ekpo stole a mortar launcher out of a navy like base and they were talking about like how, how like he'd need a bunch of things in order to like make it work because it was like it's decom it's like it's for decommissioned musicians not musicians munitions yes. <laughs> at the, the naval base so like the the mortar launcher didn't have like a firing pin, but they said like they could, they could make that if they needed. And then there's something with like the rounds that we need, but he had special rounds that got around everything. There were the tinsel, yeah, this is, there were the tinsel bombs. They're real things, but um. yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a neat idea. Like I, I, it makes sense to me. They said that they use these in Iraq to shut down the power grid there. Essentially it's just like, it's just a bunch of conductive metal, like spread out that's explodes in like a net and it goes over the power lines, and it just literally creates short circuits and overloads the power grid. So yeah, uh, but here they they make it look like well, if you launched it at like a at a nuclear power plant, it basically make the power plants like explode, like over overload, yeah, yeah. explode, yeah. Which wouldn't happen, just like turn off. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't work at a nuclear power plant, but <laughs> I, I, I don't see. either. I'm not a, I'm not like a nuclear engineer, but I've spent a lot of my life reading a lot of books on the subject and. Yeah. When when they do fail, it's always spectacular, but there's always like <laughs> reasons that like, oh yes, we can now see how this all came together to make this happen. And they're usually pretty straightforward reasons. Uh, so I imagine if there's like the grid was overloaded, they would just turn off the grid. Yeah. I mean <laughs> they, only, like they that... only have to press one button, it's called scram. It would just yeah. jam the rods into the core, shut down all the, the whole fission reaction and their diesel generators would turn on and cool it off. They don't, they don't need external, you know, they wouldn't need, like you couldn't cut off the external power and the, the plant would burn up. Um, yeah. Cause I, I'm, I'm trying to think about, it's like they're put outputting the power, but they're making it sound like they're going to put too much power back in. And I'm like, yeah. I don't think it works that way, but I don't know. I'm not going to say it's, it's a neat idea. I haven't seen it before. So it was a neat thing to think about. Well, God uh, knows that in the state of this country anymore, we might actually, like, <laughs> someone might be like, huh, maybe we could do this. I actually think, like, you know, it was uh, Live Free or Die Hard was actually the more, like, terrorizing, or, yeah, thing, because it's like, well, that could happen. <laughs> yeah, if you take over the reactor's functions and... Uh, well, even that, well, not that they weren't taking over reactor's functions, it was just, like, all the, um, basically, like, municipal stuff being hacked into, and, like, yeah. all the stuff you could do, like, just, like, blocking natural pipelines and... 
you know, superseding like safety features. Like, like I could almost see that happening depending on how vulnerable the whole system is, which in some places is probably incredibly vulnerable. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Got to remember they still use pizza, pizza box sized uh, floppy disks to run our Minuteman missiles. <laughs> but there's actually a reason for that beyond just being cheap. It's like you can't hack those systems. They're not connected yeah. to any. All they send is like a yes no response. Like they don't. You can't like send programs into those. They're they're that old. No, yeah. There's you have to physically be there. To, yeah, yeah. To, there's a bunch of islands based off of New Orleans and what's called Bankers Island. That's where they think he's set up. Um, because they overheard a bunch of people saying stuff about bankers. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Pry gets shot and he takes down some guy that isn't Ekpo. He disarms the bomb, but it wasn't a bomb. It was just like a remote mortar firing thing. Yeah. A little extra complicated. doesn't really make sense. Like, I, am, I guess that they just didn't want to be there when they launched the mortar, but... That could be. Okay. And then then Ekpo shows up holding a gun on, on Pride, and Pride's just like... Ah, uh, this won't get your family back. And he's like, "Do you have a family? Well, then they'll feel my pain too." And then Lasalle just shoots him in the chest from behind, uh, so he's dealt with. <laughs> yeah, with with an AR-15 that looks like it comes through the front of his chest. I'm surprised Pride's like, "Hey, I'm not a backstop for bullets." <laughs> uh, Actually, it's funny that like this scene, like the blood is like it was really cool looking. Like it didn't look like blood. It was like too shiny and too like darkly and bright red at the same time but it was cool looking blood yeah, it was, it was, yeah they had some kind of squib loaded with something uh well I, I, it might have been for like when they did the black and white thing in the beginning and so because they had the bit where like the the blood was red but everything else is in black and white oh, so it might have okay. shown up better when they did that um but it was cool looking blood yeah, that's pretty much the the problem solves. <laughs> Pride writes a parole letter for his dad, uh, and I could see like that'd be fun in future seasons, where his like dad gets out of prison and he's just like he's the criminal that is helping them solve like crimes they can't think of because they can't they don't think like criminals, right? <laughs> and then Percy is looking to join NCIS. Yeah, that's when you said that's why she hacked the computer to look at their budget to see if they could fit another agent in, <laughs> which they probably can't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, God knows. Uh, we have Brody gives LaSalle her sister's necklace to put Savannah's medallion on. So it's kind of this uh, moment between them. And then NCIS celebrates saving the city. Yeah, that's the season finale for NCIS New Orleans season one. Uh, it was a it was an exciting episode, but it just didn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> and a lot of the drama they want us to feel like because I didn't know who this Ekpo was. Like, yeah. Didn't, it didn't feel dangerous or give it any extra meaning and even that the uh, all the moles and stuff like that with messier and warren like those like even those being revealed were just like okay <laughs> yeah yeah it seemed like it was kind of uh i don't know again it was a lot, a lot of my problems with uh ncis new orleans which is the only ncis i really watched is they seem to like build towards something that doesn't really there, there's been a lot of like oh is this going to involve larger things the outside world definitely should but and this time it actually does, but we're just because they don't pull that trigger ever. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. And I don't know. I think that sometimes that's what it, maybe what NCIS Los Angeles does a lot. They do a lot of like espionage and they like they do globe trotting and have a lot of firefights. And this is meant to be more uh, subdued and and more more personal relationships and more about like the uh, the weirdness of New Orleans and what that adds in. And also, like, I don't know. I think if they went the other way, they probably they probably hit a dead in, hit a uh 
a dead end anyway. If every episode led to like international espionage and they went to investigate it, it probably wouldn't be satisfying either. Yeah. Because <laughs> there'd be no interesting conclusion because, <laughs> you know, they'd have to like think too far in advance for how many episodes they got to put out. So Yeah, then, it's yeah. kind of, it, it, yeah, it's just kind of, it seems to like, there's a lot of misdirects in these procedurals. I get that. Yeah. But sometimes there seems like these overarching misdirects, like I, it's like, oh, it's always going to be this small story because it kind of has to be. Yeah. Like they can't become, you know, can't become the X-Files where it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And and sometimes they just promise too much. Like you know, like with the bait fish thing where it became a season long thing, um, they promised a lot with that. And it really just kind of like fizzled out at the end. <laughs> and for our second show, we have The Mentalist, season one, episode 23, I forgot. Red John's Footsteps. Yep. Original air date, May 19th, 2009, CBS Tuesday. A victim is discovered in a park deliberately disposed of in CBI jurisdiction with evidence that Red John is involved. The team learns there may be another victim and suspects Red John is luring Jane. Showrunner Bruno Heller, written by Bruno Heller and directed by Chris Long. This is the season finale for for season one. Yeah, this was... Uh... This it's a good a, episode. Yeah, it's a good episode. It really, it really takes Jane to the edge. Yeah, we get to see more of the Jane dark side, but it also makes it kind of, I don't know, it's, it seems to be, there's almost a ludicrously big build, and it's like, yeah. oh, are we going to see Red John, or are we just going to see his red hand, you know? And it turns out it's just, we're dealing with Red John, how would you say? Accomplices. Yes, accomplices. Stooges. Maybe. <laughs> Still a good show. Yeah. Like, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, definitely built them in. Because like the only time like there's this this part when they go into a house and there's a locked room and like what they imply is that Red John was in that locked room the whole time. But you don't know. Uh yeah, so yeah, we start off with the body in the like I said, in the middle of like a, a park or whatever, and Emma Plaskett is the body. She has a twin, Maya, who's still missing. Uh, and they have, this is where you have the toenails are painted with blood, which is a Red John signature that yeah. the press the press doesn't know about, so that's why they're okay. This is Red John, uh, and then a plane skywrites the Red John smiley face in the sky, which I thought was really <laughs> weird. I mean, that's that's a that's a I mean, that's like a bold thing to do for your serial killer. It's like not trying to hide it, so yeah. Um, I mean, you weren't expecting it, so that's why I thought it was neat. Yeah, I, I was. I was like, oh wow, are they really? Yep, they are. <laughs> Although I thought like the pilot was going to be in more trouble than she actually got. Like, I don't think she even know what she did by the end of the episode. So. Now she's just like, oh, it's just a corporation. Here's their address. <laughs> did I do a good job? Yeah. Was it, was it good? And uh, what, what did you say? Was it not blurry or it was something like or that? Round, yeah. It was around enough. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. So then they go to, to interview the parents. And then Jane basically is like telling the father that her, that the other daughter's dead just to gauge his reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jane's in high asshole mode this whole episode. It's like, yeah, she's probably dead. You got to understand in these cases with Red John, there's almost no chance she's alive. So you can stop lying to it. You know, it was just like, oh, that guy would be throwing chairs at him in real life. Like that's this is definitely uh, a TV show. And then so Jane thinks the girl was killed as some sort of retaliation. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Did that? I can't remember why she was killed. Ultimately, well, it was to draw Jane in because the way her oh, body okay. was placed and stuff, and because of the guy yeah. who was doing the work, there was a twin sister, and he wanted her for some kind of 
yeah, I don't know. He wanted to do some kind of uh, was that Handmaid's Tale thing with the other twin. Yeah, he want, she'll yeah, love he want, me he, eventually. <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah. wanted to keep the girl safe by locking her away, and he was going to marry her, yeah. but keep her safe because the world was just an awful place. <laughs> um, well, you are correct, sir. You're also one <laughs> of the people making it awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have RJ Solutions, which is. Painted in the sky writing. It's obviously RJ just means Red John, even though it's R and then the, the name J. But anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. We have Jane insults the mom and and the dad to get the truth out of them. And this is like the mom like tells the, her husband to shut up and like tell her like, oh, he's seeing a bad boy. It's a uh, Mace Guthrie. Yeah, it sounds like a bad boy name. <laughs> I was looking up. Like I thought I remember the mom from somewhere. I was like, where the hell is? And I looked up, and she's like, do you remember? Uh, Battlestar Galacta, Colonel Ty, his wife. Oh, that was another was playing another drunk. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, I do remember because uh, she was a drunk in that too. Yeah, yeah. They go and raid like Guthrie's place, but he escapes. And there's kind of this fun moment where like they there's a dog bouncing at the door, and they just let the dog out, and he chases the dog chases down Guthrie. So that was, that was a fun thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's a very good dog. It's a very loyal dog. He says that. <laughs> When the uh, dog chases the cops out of the house and or won't, yeah, blocks the door, and then Jane's just—I assume he's the one who came up with it. Like, yeah, just let the dog yeah. go. I'll find him. <laughs> he was hiding in a shed. Uh, and then Jane interviews Guthrie, and it gets pretty dark here because he thre- he threatens to frame Guthrie for murder or kill him. <laughs> yeah, or, and or I won't stop. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> and of course like the you know you have lisbon and like the director of cbi in the other room it's like hey <laughs> get him on a leash like this is over the line we're recording this <laughs> and also like the guthrie's talks about how he did have a relationship with um emma and or i think it was emma yeah yeah, yeah he's having a relationship with emma uh and then somebody told him to like go away and there, then the next day there was like a pig's head on his bed yeah it was real like uh yeah godfather stuff yeah yeah. It's like my house is always locked. I don't know how he got in, but he got in and put a pig's head in my bed. Like, that's weird. And then Jane discovers like there's surveillance in the twins' room. Like there's like a camera and a mic in there, and it was possibly installed during a break-in or a staged break-in. Tron and Rigsby go to a deposit box that was supposed to be for that corporation RJ Solutions. Uh, and there's a letter inside that points to Roy <laughs> Taliaferro. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Taliaferro. Uh, there's like a G in there somewhere, but yeah, <laughs> I think it's Italian or something. Right. What would it mean actually like cast iron or, or iron? Something? Iron oxide, I thought, or something like that. Yeah. Because the director yeah. of the CBI figured it out. And then, and then Jane Lisbon, like follow the lead of this guy's name. They end up at like this interview, a blind lady. Who, oh, wait, uh, let's, let's talk about the mail order place. One thing, because Cho and Rigsby are there and the lady that owns it is Korean and she's trying to hook up her daughter with Cho. Yeah. Like, at bringing pictures and stuff, and Cho's like, you know, he's the usual, like, I'm not interested in a wife, you know? <laughs> Why not? It's like, I don't know, it's not time. You know, it's always <laughs> the stuff with him. He's like, she is very attractive. I'm not interested in a wife. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of those weird Cho-isms that make him such a good character. Yeah. And also, I, I don't know if that's, like, I don't know if this is, like, a stereotype or something, but that's like something that's, a, but it is a thing like in movies where you have like, like a, an Asian mother who's trying to, who finds like some other Asian man who's like, has like a respectable job. And it's like, I have a niece or a daughter. You want, I don't know. That's a, that's a, I don't know. 
I mean, yeah. I, that kind of happens in any. I mean, it happens with Jewish characters as well, or any character. Really. Yeah, yeah. Anyone that's like, oh, you're you're similar, and you're yeah. like a policeman. That's a respectable job. I would like my daughter to be safe and marry you. Like <laughs> the daughter's not there consenting or anything. It's just, here she is. How much? You know, it's kind of to us. It would yeah. seem really odd, but. Yeah, it was a fun thing where it's like uh, Rigsby is like on the phone, but he's also like secretly egging on the lady. It's like, yeah, he's got, yeah, she's got a shot. Yeah, he's <laughs> pointing at the lady like thumbs up. up and yeah. <laughs> yeah, they interview this this blind lady, Ros- <laughs> Rosalind Harker. Yes, uh, who might know something about Red John, and they, she kind of like runs away in the house, and then Jane kind of chases her down and convinces her to let him into her room and then like in her bedroom is a there's a smiley face the red john smiley face on the wall which is kind of like pins jane in place and he's like gets really emotional but like can just stands there and kind of controls it because he's like ready to like lose his mind over yeah and they learn about like somebody named dumar is roy's friend uh there's also this like elephant (laughs) along the way yeah Uh, stuffed elephant yeah because uh, apparently Dumar went to go buy a stuffed elephant and cigarettes. And then they have Jane listening to Rosalind play piano. And I'm guessing it's to try to get in like Red John's head or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> then we have like Jane argues with Lisbon over Red John. <laughs> uh, we find out this is like maybe sort of staged, but like in the moment, it seems like Jane's just getting losing his mind. And he's like, no, if we find Red John, I'm going to kill him. Like, this is my, like, you're not, you're not interfering with that, but it's like, ends up being more of a uh, staged at the time. But yeah. Um, yeah. Cause she's like, I'm uh, tired of your arrogance. <laughs> oh, by the way, Taglia means cut iron. I just looked it okay, up. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sean Rigsby find a place that, that sold the stuffed toy that conveniently has a nine month camera loop. So that was, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. My son's really into tech. <laughs> we got cameras all over the place, all digital in a nine month loop. It's like amazing. <laughs> yeah. Cause they have the stuffed toy and the guy's like, yeah, we don't give re- no, no returns. And he's like, Hey, around Thanksgiving, did you sell an elephant to a guy in cigarettes or something? He's like, no, I wouldn't know that. But then, because he has the nine-month loop camera. It's like, yeah, convenient. Uh, and then this is where you find out Sheriff Hardy, who is the, the sheriff that's been showing around the whole time, is on the surveillance footage. I forget, there's something he was talking about, like, he said he's been, like, the, the town's so small and close-knit that he's been working there 10 years, and he's still, like, the new guy on the force. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's, like, in charge of everybody. <laughs> yeah, so we left to assume that he's working with Red John. And so Hardy and Jane find this house with a secret basement, uh, that Lisbon is presumably going to get a warrant for. Uh, and Hardy uh, turns on Jane, pulls shotgun on him. And this is where we find out that Hardy's dad died, uh, and he, but he was in jail for being an accomplice with Red John. And so this is their connection. Yeah. It seemed a little, um, a little bit of a yeah, stretch, but okay. Yeah. It's, it's very loose, but <laughs> I mean like Red John's like what Hannibal Lecter and, and, and like <laughs> the, uh, but the most charismatic guy you'll ever meet who, <laughs> also murders people it's uh, yeah i don't i never understood the cold that like serial killers have over people in fiction in general i mean hannibal lecter i kind of got because he was just so evil and smart but some of this stuff it makes it seem like especially this series it's like oh serial killers are people that you'd want to be around and it's like no in real <laughs> life nobody likes those guys you always get a vibe it's like oh there's something wrong with you dude <laughs> get away uh, i was like what would they do for them to owe this loyalty like it's yeah. uh 
But also, I don't know, maybe this guy just like recognizes. Well, sociopaths that can exploit people's weaknesses and wants would be super charismatic and manipulative. But the problem with sociopaths is they can't get out of their own way. It's like yeah. they got to be the center of attention and they would never like, oh, I'm going to give this guy a little something so I can get more later. They just don't think that far ahead. So that's what was dangerous about like a guy like Hannibal Lecter. There's never been a serial killer like that because even the guy who wrote the book said, oh, there's never been anyone really like this because if there was, it'd be a nightmare. You just <laughs> never because he's patient. He's plotting. He's got a genius level IQ. It's like you're not going to outthink a guy like that unless you just have hundreds of people working the case. But yeah, serial killers are sort of mythologized and fiction but in reality they're all just kind of losers <laughs> committed but <laughs> yeah committed but yeah essentially like well they're committed to doing things that no one else would want to do it's not like a serial killer became the best chess player also and a serial killer no they just want to like do whatever gross horrible thing they want to do and then live out a fantasy or relive it in their minds and they could say it's like, I'm fooling the cops. I'm number one. And that gives them a thrill because they are, because yeah. they're not doing things like stealing diamonds or money or cars or, or doing normal crimes. They're doing really weird. <laughs> it's like, if you look at John list and um, some of those other people, it's, it's like, yeah, they, I mean, they weren't like super criminals. They were just doing something so outside the box that it required a new form of investigation. But and also there was stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can listen to like people talk about Jeffrey Dahmer and it's like, we see post stuff of that guy. It's like, why would people think this guy's charismatic? We listen to all his interviews. Like, I see normal me charismatic because you don't associate like sociopath with like figuring out like social cues, but like they've figured it out somehow. But yeah, well, the, yeah, anything. But but once people. but once they're caught, they never seem like yeah, they never seem like they've recognized a social cue whatsoever. Yeah, when Dahmer was taking guys to his apartment and like. Yeah, you know, putting them in drums of acid or eating them or whatever, you know, he, there was, it was actually more complicated than that, but it, it never occurred to me like, Oh yeah, this is the guy. Hey, you want to come over? Sure. Sure. That, but also <laughs> then again, I'm not an insecure homosexual guy in the eighties. Who's like, you just got to take what friends you can get. So then when you throw that into it, it becomes like, Oh, okay. I could see how this guy could lure, especially cause some of them were immigrants and stuff like that. So yeah, but it's not like he was like, you know, getting the the best guys from like the you know the Bolshoi ballet on tour and he was luring them <laughs> back to his apartment with his intelligence and his knowledge of <laughs> no he was just like he was just a predator who, who um, just wanted someone who was essentially brain dead to cuddle with him it's really <laughs> weird it's really really weird yep yep but that's what people uh, who kill people to get off get their rocks off are weird people but yeah in, in fiction they are just like these methodical 10 steps ahead people yeah yeah who just who just want to hurt people for thrills yeah um so yeah hardy captured maya because he wanted to marry her so she's trapped so that we we know she's there she's alive but he's just keeping her there for you know to marry her <laughs> you know she's she's gonna be completely she's gonna be yeah, my but, bride wife uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah stockholm syndrome will kick in and then everything will solve itself yeah We'll raise um, a brood of children in secret. Uh, Jane and Lisbon turn the tables on Hardy, and this is where I figure out that 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 their argument was sort of staged, but probably has some truth to it. Yeah, she probably really feels that way, but also is going along with it because yeah. this gets to the next screen. So yeah, so yeah, Lisbon handles Hardy, 
uh they get Maya out of there and like when they're like everything's wrapping up like Hardy gets loose from his restraints and pulls a gun on shoots a shoots a sheriff one of his fellow fellow sheriffs shoots him and pulls the gun on on Lisbon and then Jane happens to have a shot pulls a shotgun on him and shoots Hardy with the shotgun and then kind of throws her away like it's gross yeah <laughs> well, because that's the thing with Jane. Because remember when they were at the house, and the sheriff was like, "Do you carry a gun?" He's like, "No, never." And he's like, "Well, you better stand back. Then this could be rough crowd." And yeah. Yes, yeah, so then he cuts some guy in half with a shotgun, which is out of character for Jane. But you know, yeah. Uh, and then and then the guy just, the guy just plays with them because he's basically like pretending he's going to tell Liz, or tell Jane who Red John is, but then he just like does a schmoes and then laughs until he dies. <laughs> And then Maya's reunited with her family, and then Jane picks an orange off a tree. I don't know what that's supposed to symbolize, but <laughs> uh, the, maybe life isn't so evil. Like there's still some small good things. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for the orange to like he was going to peel it open and have the red John smiley face in it, like he grew <laughs> that orange specifically. But you know they weren't going to be that ridiculous. So. Oh yeah, like uh, yeah, I think I mentioned before. But then they go into the house when Harding and him Jane go in the house originally. Like he starts pulling on a door and they sort of like cut to the other side and there's like a figure that's supposed to be there. And then also when Lisbon and Hardy are fighting, you see like this night vision camera and there's somebody watching them. And then by the end of it, like that door's open and nobody's in there. And that's presumably the Red John was in there witnessing the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Because he's this is all about manipulating Jane or showing how far he can go to manipulate him. Yeah. Um I don't know why, but you know, I guess just because he didn't learn his lesson, apparently. Yeah, he only killed his family, you know, put a good con man out of work. I thought that was interesting season finales. Yeah, I enjoy it. The mentalist I've always enjoyed. Uh, you yeah. know, I sometimes I make fun of things in it, but it's like for, for this, it's actually it's not bad. You know, it's not the X Files, no. but it's not bad. Well, it always kind of what I like about it is it does a lot more subversive stuff than like the other shows we're watching, where it's like. We can see the template from the other shows, and we can see here where it follows a template and then jumps around it because it's too ridiculous. And then sometimes there's stuff that is a bit too ridiculous. Uh, and then sometimes the show points out the ridiculous things, and it's like, no, this is how it's really done. Yeah. And but also, also these shows just have a weird sense of humor, which makes them like uh, diverge from reality uh, <laughs> uh, because they're trying to have fun with the audience. Because like if you're if you're just watching drab people solve horrible crimes <laughs> it's just gonna be a total bummer yeah they have no emotional investment in it um, <laughs> there's no quirkiness or yeah that's what i like about the mentalist it has a sense of humor about what it's doing yeah even though at the end it's it's just it's about people with a horrible job uh dealing with very stressful situations that would be terrifying for normal people to deal with yeah and do it repeatedly over and over yeah again. Uh, every episode you know <laughs> Yeah, if I encounter murder once in my life, like that's too much. And that's if I know people that are murdered, which unfortunately I have. But it's like I was never close to it. But it's like, yeah, I couldn't imagine this is like every week. Here comes another one. Like when you watch the first 48, it's like, oh, yeah, these guys are alcoholics. <laughs> and I understand why. Also, some ge geography stuff I, I, I guess I learned. Sacramento, which is where CBI is headed, is like kind of like the biggest city north in California. Yeah. Like it's kind of up in that like the armpit area, like near there in the middle. So yep. it's pretty, it's pretty far north uh, in California. The Bay Area isn't that far from there. 
Like it's further down, but it's not that far from there. But then you go way down to like Los Angeles to San Diego and stuff, and that's Southern California. So. Yeah, yeah, it's almost two separate states, and that's kind of the de- demarcation line is Sacramento, because Northern yeah. California is all food and weed. Southern <laughs> California is all Silicon Valley. So it's yeah, it's uh, well, it's not all Silicon. Silicon Valley is an actual place, but that's pretty much what California is known for anymore. That and some, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's the kind of the Bay Area, it's uh, San Francisco, Oakland, and then um, the actual oh, what's it called? It's the like actual like Silicon Valley place, San uh, Jose. <laughs> what do I want to say? Rancho Cucamay. It's not that. Uh, as soon as you say it, I'm gonna know it because now I'm thinking back to something I watched. Well, no, I have to do like so. It's like the, the one dude who's in Disaster Artist who directed it was like that actor. Oh, James, James Franco. Franco. James Franco wrote a book that's the name of the town that it's um San Clemente, is it? Palo Alto. Palo Alto, yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> Cause he's from there, and so that's basically just it's full of rich people. So Yeah. I mean I mean, as is every big city in California. So. No, that whole area is weird. Yeah, that, those areas are weird though, because it's like imagine if I bought my house here when I did. And like something took off here that became like the biggest thing in the world. And all of a sudden my house is worth $7 million and I paid, <laughs> I don't know what I paid for this place. Well, nothing close to that. And it's like, yeah, you can sell it cause you can't afford the property taxes on that now. And, and you're going to sell it to like, well, it's like the TV show, Silicon Valley. They, the lady sold her house to like 15 dudes so they could, you know, sit in a house and basically make it into a computer development center. Uh, you know, and she paid, X amount of dollars for it in the seventies. And she sold it for like 50 times what it was worth and, or what she paid for it. And then she went to Florida to live in a condo and wait for it to collapse or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's no Miami vices league. Cause they last week was their, their season finale. Uh, and there's technically 23 episodes of Miami vice, but we, we just included the, uh, the premiere as one the pilot. Episode. Yeah. The pilot, they yeah. break into two for that season, but, is that how, how it was uh, broadcast, or do you remember? I don't remember. <laughs> did you see, yeah, did you were you there day one for Miami Vice, or did you catch it later on? I think I used to record it on a VCR because I th- that most of the Miami Vice I watched when I was younger was on a VCR. Yeah, I don't remember like sitting down and watching that. Cause I think I don't know if mom and dad were even too keen on me watching that. There was a <laughs> lot of stuff I VCR'd and watched later because um, we only had cable to one TV in the house. So, yeah. um, at one time, but yeah, I, I've seen all the Miami vice episodes. I, I kind of get sketchy around the last season. I think I got interested in other things and kind of moved on, but yeah, the, like the first four or five seasons I'm pretty familiar with, but I th- yeah, I think I had a, a VCA, a VCR tape that actually I wrote Miami vice on and tried to make it look like the letters. <laughs> <laughs> so here is just some, uh, this is the end of season one of the Verhoeven effect. We did it. <laughs> uh yeah so we're, so we're yeah this is where we're gonna debate whether the sh- what shows are we gonna keep or are we gonna exchange them and we've kind of b- barely talked about this uh off off the podcast but basically um well we'll see we're i i i say we are going to drop uh ncis new orleans yeah Okay. You're not going to get a lot of pushback from me because NCI, <laughs> I, nothing's wrong with it. I don't hate it. I didn't, 
I thought it was going to be dreadful watching. I thought that yeah. was going to be a goof for the whole series. Is like, <laughs> I'm just watching this show. I would never watch this nonsense normally. I don't like this kind of story and drama. I didn't hate it, but I was also pleasantly surprised by the mentalist. Is like, oh, this is kind of kooky and fun. I, I, I and I like the actors in the mentalist, and, and they seem to each have a, a kind of a voice. Whereas yeah. in, in NCIS, you've got, the, you know, the main guy, Cassius right. Pride, and, and you've got... Cassius is his dad. Yeah, it's Dwayne right. Pride, isn't it? Dwayne, yeah. <laughs> but Cassius is a cool name. Yeah, so. it's a cool or, name. Or what, if it, or what if, did he have a, like a weird middle name? I can't remember. I think remember. his middle name was Cassius. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the, the NCIS New Orleans is the most consistently formulaic. And yeah. if I had to pick between these three shows, it's like, yeah, that one's... If I have to get rid of one, that's going to be it. <laughs> Uh, just because it's like I can explore that in other TV series and maybe see yeah. it even more obvious and, and ridiculous than this one. But, uh, yeah, if, if there was a weak sister here, I'd have to say it's CIS New Orleans. <laughs> just based on the fact that the other shows are, uh, you know, Mentalist was surprisingly a high-quality show most of the time. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it, it stays at, a, at an even level of quality. It has its ups and downs. And Miami Vice, Vi, uh, Miami Vice, Miami Vice is just kind of like our, 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 our um, it's like our control group. It's like, yeah. we know that's good. That's a known good thing. And it was a known kind of innovator of this kind of TV. It had its own, it has its own special style because Michael Mann was involved with it. So it's not like a lot of these other shows, but it kind of gave the template for this type of show. Like, this is how you do this on a weekly basis. The thing is, yeah. Miami Vice for its time was probably twice as expensive as any of these shows, which was a problem they had with it. But the ratings were so high, it's like, I can't get rid of it. So I would have to say that, uh, yeah, you're not going to get any pushback from me. Not that I hated it. It's just it was the one I liked least. Well, I mean, we had a lot of things where it's like, oh, where's this going? And like where we thought like it might go. It just never did. Yeah. And even if it went there, it'd probably be it'd probably be even stupider. But yeah. <laughs> Like every week's is them chasing an international conspiracy. It's like that's not what NCIS investigates, so it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But you know, international espionage around Navy personnel—I mean, that does make sense. But yeah, it's the only way most um, Americans see the outer world is to be in the Navy <laughs> or the military, because there's no really reason for us to go anywhere else otherwise. And yeah, you know, and then there was like fun stuff with the the. New Orleans, the city itself, added a lot of things to the show for it being formulaic. It's like, well, it's more interesting just because it's in New Orleans. Yeah. And, and let's say you take a little time to like, let's pick out what are the episodes we remember. <laughs> I remember the ones with, um, see, this is the problem. Like, I could remember all the characters on most of the other well, shows. I, I think my favorite one was the, the Walking Dead one where the guy was like poisoned and he doesn't, there's nobody dies in the episode, but you know he's going to die. Yeah. That was probably their best episode. Yeah, th there was some. Uh, let me get and I know, like, I know you went like you went like above and beyond for that one quarantine episode where you you were, like made a lot of like like this could mean this and this. And I think like after a while we stopped doing that because we feel like, even though like the show is meant to be like we're supposed to extract like more meaning out of the show than what's presented. I think like as we got into the rhythm of it, we kind of just stopped doing that because we didn't see it worthwhile to do. That. Yeah, it kind of seemed, um, yeah, because I had like a lot of notes. And I did that with The Mentalist, too, because I was looking yeah. for everything means something else, because that's the kind of show this is. 
and it turned out it's like ah you're going way too deep it's not really there's a select few episodes that actually do that but not every episode does that <laughs> yeah for the mentalist no and for uh but let me get my uh notes up here so i did do some notes for this one of what the one that i liked was um I did like the one where the three prisoners got out. Yeah. And uh, and they were, uh, two of them were just like goons who had committed crimes in the Navy of some kind. But the, the one of them was like, oh, this guy is like, has a security clearance and this is a bad guy. And I, I forget what it was, but I, I do remember that kind of having a disappointing ending, but the buildup was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, this guy was like a genius, uh, like traitor amidst, <laughs> amidst the Navy. And then he was also like some kung fu expert, uh, and like you know just super assassin, and they shoot him at the end of the episode. Yeah. And that's it. All, all trails in there. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to like send off the thing where like because that's where Brody gets captured, and then she kind of gets away. And I think like they keep having Brody get captured in like a bunch of episodes afterwards, but then she like fends herself off and kills people. And I think Brody ends up having like the largest body count of anybody yeah. on the internet so. and then the one with uh the guy who was uh looking for people that were fake navy seals and he got killed yeah. that was an interesting one because that turned out to be like oh this guy had a jacket and uh and it was uh it was like a guy that was killed in afghanistan it's like where did he get this jacket and then they found out oh he's alive that was actually one where they went to afghanistan or yeah. someplace <laughs> like that but i remember like that started off one place and totally went somewhere else i thought it was going to be about oh the the network of people that do the that like they're imposter military people to sell stuff to people or whatever but it's like no it went a whole different direction and it was kind of cool uh, i do remember that one yeah but the guy who's like organs had been yeah, destroyed by or was being destroyed by uh, radiation. That one was interesting. Yeah, that was just dark because there was like always a clock running over that guy. Um, but yeah, there was there was a few times where we like picked the NCIS New Orleans as like the best episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, but not many. But it was more than I expected. I didn't expect any would be better than a mentalist or Miami Vice episode. So. Yeah, that there were some that were reasonably entertaining, but 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 as far as like the overarching thesis of this show, I mean, it, yeah, this kind of failed to deliver what we were looking for. Not because we weren't looking for it, because it was just easier to talk about the episode. Because initially there were hints, like there was one third episode of the season or second episode, he's flying to an aircraft carrier to get information, and it's like, <laughs> oh, this is some big international thing, and j just like the, the last episode of this season perfectly encapsulates, like, oh, the storm is coming. It's like, what's this going to be? Super meth, weapons, what are they going to do with the city? And no, it's just some guy trying to get revenge against the U.S. military for something that happened to his family, something that was never discussed, talked about, or had anything uh, even tangentially to do with the rest of the country. Well, it was some oil company, oil company that right. gets oil out of his country, and then some. they like set some fire that killed his family. Yeah. And then, I don't know, because the oil company's based in New Orleans or something. It's an like energy company that owned the nuclear power plant. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought it was like a drone strike thing. No, you're right. It was the oil company. But anyway, <laughs> it was like something that just didn't pay off <laughs> yeah, other than yeah, being yeah. scary and a motivator for the, for the individual. And probably the biggest story. problem was that they did a good job building it up. It's just like, they didn't have the follow through. Like it ends up defeating the previous two episodes, which built it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is for the Verhoeven effect. The ultimate problem with NCIS is because you can't, 
uh, tease meaning out of it for something yeah. later or for or for a parallel to anything going on in the real world. They do have those parallels in the show. They're very direct, though. <laughs> there's there's nothing subtle about it. It's 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 like they're just slapping you across the face with it. Um, where the mentalist kind of has a built-in advantage because the whole show is about the overarching contest between Jane and Red John. It's like, yeah, it, it always it, just, it doesn't address it every episode, but yeah, you know, that's like that's why this guy's here. This quirky guy who's not a cop, um, but you know, solves all the crimes. Uh, it's kind of a way to work with the cops to ultimately catch Red John. So it's it's kind of a built-in thing with that show. It has unfair advantage based on what our uh, guidelines were. I, I like most of the characters in NCIS New Orleans. That was probably the strongest thing. Is like I like these characters. Yeah, I didn't hate them. Uh, yeah, you know, Pride. You know, Pride's fine. He's just kind of like the stern guy that holds it all together. And it was kind of interesting in the beginning where he's like estranged from his wife and then it's like why is that it's like here's the ultimate good guy like what problem does he have being that he's like about to divorce his wife and really it wasn't just like his problem it's just like he just has a dangerous job and sometimes it comes home i guess yeah <laughs> you know lasalle was fun and fun. some of the stuff his brother was interesting uh yeah Brody's lasalle probably- seems like a guy who's probably darker than his characters portrayed for all the stuff yeah. that's gone on in his life it's like you think, it's especially, especially in this last episode where he's like a bit too happy for his girlfriend being murdered. I don't know, eight hours ago. <laughs> yeah, seems a little plucky. It's like, hey, that other girl might get hired. You know, maybe I have a chance. It's like, oh no, she's in the nerd guy. <laughs> yeah, I did like Percy, and she was only in for like you know three yeah. episodes. So like when they when they when they basically like, oh, she's basically going to be on next season. It's like. Good call. I like her. Yeah. Uh, I, I I wish there was more Borland episodes. I really liked her. She was the Coast Guard investigator. Mm-hmm. I hated Sebastian at first, and then he's just kind of like fine towards the end. It's like he has a purpose, whatever. He's, yeah. he's But he's mostly just a joke character. Wade, Wade, Wade for me, yeah. became superfluous as the series went on when I really thought, oh, this is like Pride's anchor to yeah. right and wrong and then that kind of like quit being written into the episodes <laughs> except occasionally and because yeah. the interaction between them was the best because those are probably like two of the best actors on this show yeah. and it's like oh okay so she's like not only is she this really smart coroner uh, but she's also like she knows pride and they have some kind of there's some something bad happened in her past and his past that kind of binds them together, and she helps him deal with it. And then that sort of went away, and I, I don't know yeah. why. Um, yeah, I was hoping we we get another one of of Wade's like uh, bedtime cases. Yeah, yeah. So they talk about she just has like a rolodex of cases that are by her her nightstand that she just reads every night and hoping one day they'll be solved. And we only got one of them. So I wonder if that happens in other seasons, but <laughs> I would have liked to saw another one in this season, but yeah, I mean, this is just the first season. A lot of foundational stuff doesn't get tamped down. Yeah. You know, I remember Star Trek, well, the next generation wasn't great till season three. So yeah. And that's uh, one of the arbitrary things that we put on here. Maybe we'll go over it or not, but like I'm kind of putting arbitrary rule where we only do, like if we keep a show, we only keep it for at least three seasons and then we're done with it. Yeah. And and sometimes that's unfair, but usually the best season of a show is like within the first three seasons. 
Um, although, like you said with Star Trek, that's different. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if we had to do the show and not knowing what Star Trek was, we'd have we'd we would downvote it the first. Oh, yeah, the next generation is gone. Deep Space Nine, kiss my ass. Uh, the original series is the only good. One. Yeah, if you didn't really let it, if you didn't really uncork the bottle and let it breathe with those, they wouldn't be very good. Only the original series, uh, and even the like the first ep- the first official. Se- uh, episode of that was like oh yeah that became a reshot episode later that they used parts of because it wasn't any damn good yeah um, i like emotional spock though <laughs> captain what are you doing it's like whoa it's spock i see they changed that character quite a bit <laughs> yeah so yeah so we're gonna keep the mentalist in miami vice um keep the mentalist for at least three seasons and then um well, it depends. I mean, maybe season two sucks. We'll see. But um, yeah, find out. And we maybe might do all of Miami Vice. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, no, I think the three season rule might be a good. Uh, we'll, okay. we'll we'll see. We got a lot. We got years yet. Uh, yeah. I mean, months. the only reason I'm like I'm vaguely implementing these rules is that like it takes us six months to do a season of this, and so if we're doing like the entire series run for these shows like we'd be set for the next like nine years yeah <laughs> we, <laughs> so. i'll just be here in a walker what because <laughs> the format of the show is we're kind of watching them week to week uh and we're comparing them against three other shows yeah or two other shows it's three shows at the same time uh to try to be different because usually what people do they watch like three episodes of a season and they're done with the season within like seven episodes yeah uh, here we're doing 23 episodes and we're watching three shows yeah yeah we're crammed <laughs> uh so what i'm electing to replace ncs new orleans is uh the blacklist okay uh, like i've i've never seen it i hear it's like wildly uneven yeah. but i hear like no matter what james spader will carry the day even if it's a bad episode so <laughs> Yeah, I, I've heard that's the one thing I've heard about the blacklist. The only thing I didn't even hear about the James Spader stuff. It's his one of the blurbs I read, wildly uneven quality. And then there's like <laughs> a whole thesis of why that is, which I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But yeah, I will watch this uh, with interest okay. because it seems like, um, you know, stuff that I like. Because it, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of like 24. If you have an IQ of, of 70, is another way it was described. I don't know if that's fair. Because I sort of like 24, at least the first three seasons. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you want to nominate one or anything. No, I don't. I'm fine with that. Why not? Like, one thing I thought, like, yeah, there's like there's a ton of these network shows that we don't watch. But, you know, one idea was to watch, like, either you had, there is a new NCIS Hawaii. Okay. <laughs> not, not really interested in thinking. Not necessarily interested. I don't know if it's good or not, but not necessarily interested in going back. Does to it have a sci-fi aspect aspect to it? Is it set no. hundred years in the future? Okay, well, probably not. Then. No, just a big naval base in Hawaii. <laughs> probably the same show, just in Hawaii. Yeah, and then you know, yeah, it was probably one of the vacation things. It's like we should put a show in Hawaii. It's like, well, we'll, we'll be culturally different. It's like, no, we just get to shoot a show in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> set lost in Hawaii. Yeah. All the cast members got DUIs. We don't know why they're in paradise. <laughs> or even like the the new reboot of CSI, where it's just CSI Las Vegas. We can investigate that one. Um, the one I'm kind of interested in is because when I was a kid, my favorite show was MacGyver, and they made a reboot of MacGyver, and I haven't seen. Oh, I've never seen that. Frame. Okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> that might be one for the future. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's got multiple seasons, so at least it's entertained enough of an audience. But I have no idea if it's good or not. Yeah, no, I don't yeah, have anything so- to add. You, I'm just like a pizza eating machine. You just shove me <laughs> stuff, and I'll produce something. I'll consume it and produce and, something. And I believe, I believe the blacklist you can watch almost everywhere. I know it's on Netflix. Yeah. And so we can because we have the weirdest thing with this show is like we pick these shows like good to go. We have two shows got kicked off their streaming services. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my now advice, we're using these round reflective discs to watch them. <laughs> well, my advice got switched over from. It might actually be on Stars. I haven't checked, but I got it's on Peacock now. Yeah. So, uh, like, I have that. So, like, that's easy. But Mentalist has been kicked off all streaming services. <laughs> and, and you can buy the episodes, like, online. Um, but it's just not streaming on any of your already paid-for services, which is just seems stupid because we have so many. Yeah. It's, um, it's, but, yeah, I think we'll be safe with this. And, and if not, then I have the library. Or I'll just do what I did with the Mentalist. I, you know, I, I just paid to watch the last three episodes because <laughs> it's, like, a dollar or something because i don't watch them in oh. high definition or anything that's stupid wait i thought yeah i thought you banked all so because you're telling me you're I banking did, like that, but, so I just took my, detailed notes my memory yeah i take notes and i read them and it's like and i've watched other things and done things since then and it's like oh this is going to be a terrible episode where i'll just be like oh yeah and that happened and it did not say <laughs> anything else so no i just paid to rewatch the last three or four because it's just like the quality control because i watched them and read through my notes it's like okay now i remember but yeah, I can't remember watch something. In well, I, I was trying to think library. of moments when we like got to the mentalist, and I thought maybe you're kind of like stepping to the side because you're trying to like you're trying to like rev up the memory for the yeah. episode. It's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did do actually a few episodes like that because you only get a week or two weeks for the whole season at the library, and then you got to return the discs, and it's like okay, I'm just going to pay to watch these because yeah, there was a quality deficit there for really one of the probably the best show on the podcast where i'm just like uh-huh yeah, so why am i doing this so if i can't get it together for eight bucks to watch the last five episodes of the mentalist i probably need to stop using heroin um, <laughs> and for now i think we'll keep this format like it's it it hurt the format's hurt by like it limits just to one episode at a time but that's how people watch this and this is kind of mimicking like people have several shows they watch through the week and this is what we're kind of doing just kind of going through the motions of why people watch network television um and also I, i'm not even sure if blacklist is a necessary procedural i, I kind of like i i think it's more of like an espionage action show but yeah. i actually have no idea <laughs> it's it's uh yeah i think it's um i watched the first seasons a long time ago so yeah. i'm from i'm somewhat familiar with it um and yeah, it's it's like what I call dark espionage. Uh, but we'll talk about you know what the show's about later. Yeah, so yeah, don't know if we have anything else. That's about it. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, what's our what's our opinion of the Verhoeven effect season one? Did did we follow through on anything? Any of our stated goals, or did the material uh, just not rise to the occasion and we really couldn't <laughs> tease it out? Unless we just wanted to be weird and obtuse about everything. Like, no, this means that. Yeah, I, mean, I think we started out with that, like we're over reading and everything. And I think as we went on, we just kind of like figured out what these shows were. And then it was just it, it felt too dis- it felt too disingenuous to extract the goodness from these kind of like mediocre shows. Well, I mean, not mediocre, but like once we re- once we see the formula, it's hard to 
go beyond the formula. It's not, it's hard to see. Like when you early on, you don't know what it is. You can see like, this can mean anything. And then just, then like later on, we're like, this is the misdirect. This is this, this yeah. is this. And we're like, we're just, we're just seeing that. We're seeing the framework rather than the picture. Yeah. Rather than doing the Paul Verhoeven, let's overanalyze everything and make it mean something. We just became TV show detectives. It's like, ah, <laughs> here. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the, the prestige that one, Christopher Nolan movie about the magician. It's like we were calling it. <laughs> it's like, uh, which I think that's fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that's just how a season will go is like, we'll start out and it's more, it's more magical and us looking for things. And then as we figure out the formula, it's like, like that's a, you know, uh, also breaks the formula, but we know the alchemists tricks. So, <laughs> I mean, for something that started out as a goof 12 years ago of something we never actually did, which was we were going to watch Nicolas Cage's season of The Witch and try to make a Verhoeven-style uh, commentary for that movie. And then I tried to do it, and I realized, oh, commenting is hard. Um, let's just, you know, we'll just keep it as an abstract idea until, you know, six months ago when we, when we did it. And we also, you know, then we found out this doesn't fit to every solution. So now it's just the overanalyzation of weird stuff. Uh, network TV uh dark 70s sci-fi what you know <laughs> yeah we, we've done one of those we'll do another one stay um, tuned yeah so like the stated goal of like over analyzing things we don't even meet that especially with the regular season stuff that's fine it's yeah. like <laughs> still like doing the show it's it's the attempt at it. you know the thing i have here like i, I wrote, there's a bullet point that says the Verhoeven effect it's like it's like and there's a thing where i said that now we turn to the Verhoeven effect and we're supposed to find connections between the episodes or whatever or just over analyze it and uh, that's essentially gone from the show because it just felt weird to do it. Like, I didn't really have a purpose for it. But. Well, that would make, require us to rewrite the shows in our heads. And we're doing three but, hours of watching it and two hours of yeah. talking about it. And it's like, yeah, let's rewrite the shows so we'll fit this premise. Um, uh, but also, it's like we have the we have the opening monologue is the premise of the show. And that's kind of all you need. And then we just yeah. analyze it. So yeah. that's what's going on. And if you like what you've heard, and I know you do, <laughs> take it away. Uh, you can, yeah, you're listening to somehow. You can find us at anchor.fn slash Verhoeven Effect. There you can, actually, I don't know if you can rate our podcast. You can rate our podcast on your platform of choice if you want to. You can rate us whatever you want, but the only thing to listen to is whatever the highest rating there is. And if you want to write something in the comic, just let, said this, say this podcast gets you through the workday. Uh, we, on anchor.fn slash forever. In fact, we have listener support where you can support this podcast at a monthly stipend of 99 cents a month, 499 or 99, 9.99 cents a month or nine, $9.99 cents a month. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven effect, Facebook at Verhoeven effect. We have another podcast called American grief factory. You can find American grief factory on YouTube as well as the podcast choice platform of your choice, except Spotify. Uh, and you can watch both this podcast and that pe- podcast live and unedited. Uh, we have t-shirts at below the collar.com slash greed factory. Um, and you can find me at twitch.tv slash greed factory, where right now I'm just playing puzzles and podcasts where I listen to other podcasts and play puzzle games. So anyways, for the, for the very podcast, this is Colin. And this is Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.